Well, hi everyone, and welcome to Training for a Life Redeemed. I am Dan, and each week I'm sitting down with my dad, Dr. David Jackson, to examine various sections of the Bible. This week we are looking at Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 to 25, which is all about the Garden of Eden. Verse 4 says that this is the account of the heavens and the earth, but hasn't this already been given in chapter 1? Yeah, it has. All through Genesis, we have this little phrase that breaks Genesis up into series of genealogies virtually. And this is, um, we've got the heavens and the earth in place. Now we want to ask the question, and what did they produce? So this is uh, the production of man and woman uh, standing on the earth, and taking us to the next level, to the next stage in the story. Yeah, I've sat in your classrooms at school <laughs> where you talked about it as this idea of, uh, you know, with the computer and you've got folders and there's a folder within a folder. So it's not a retelling of the story so much, but more a closer look at the story and what's happened. Yeah, it's sort of like we double-click on day six and pop in and have a, a, a more intimate look at what's going on as God creates the... Uh, having created the animals, now create the man and the woman uh, to govern his world. Okay, so set the scene for me. What's happening here in the garden throughout this chapter? Well, God is uh, he's creating a world that he is going to hand over to a people made in his image to manage, to rule, and to use it to be creative and to produce beauty, uh, to extend... Uh, the display of God's wisdom, uh, and to, to breed up more human beings to take this till the image of God and the glory of God fills the whole earth. So this is the, the nucleus, the seedbed, if you like, of the start of God's plan to glorify himself through mankind uh, managing his creation. Okay, well, if we need to manage his creation, why is it that man needs a helper? because it's talking here all about <laughs> man needing a helper the whole way through, uh, which then has, you know, the animals aren't good enough after he goes through and names them, and then God makes a woman out of his rib. Why does he need that? Oh, this, this is such fun. If you, um, one of the things I love about being a bloke is that when God created men, he created us inadequate. So before we sinned, we needed help. So there's no shame in needing help. And the beauty of it is when he creates help, he does such a great job. So you go through all the other living creatures on the face of the earth and not one of them is adequate to do what we need. It's like God created uh, uh, gears and one has to fit into the other and otherwise it just doesn't work, it doesn't connect. And so God has created a woman to complete the man and the man completes the woman and when the two work together... Everything works, and it's beautiful. It's It's got that intricacy, that intimacy um, that just has you sit down and wonder, uh, much like Attenborough wandering through and looking at how you know, flowers and birds and species all are interconnected. When you look at the relationship between a man and a woman, you see the completion uh, of the image of God and the character of God in the way these two get on. Uh, 
It's very much like the intimacy you see within the Trinity between Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Here you've got the man, the woman and God uh, in a relationship where each plays their part and produces something absolutely awesome and wonderful and beautiful. Uh, and for the man to, to realise right from the get-go that on his own he can't do it, but together with God and the woman, the whole thing is designed to work beautifully, and that's how life works. And so if, you know, I know there'll be someone out there who'll say, you know, why is she designed as a helper? Doesn't that make her a lesser uh, in some way to, uh, to the man, that she's just there to help? Um, how do you reply to that Uh, given what I know about the word helper across the Bible it's such a joke isn't it want to be God ourselves we make ourselves to to be people who don't need any help and therefore anybody who helps us has to be some lesser being like an animal um so that we are God and they are our helper our slaves um our staff and that's how an a world that's gone wrong screws up the whole design. So when you look at this design, the concept of a helper is an ally, somebody who completes, who, in a sense, rescues us from the bits that we can't do. The word helper in the Bible is just beautiful. Out of, a, I think it's 101 times the word occurs, 88 of them, God is our helper. And God is certainly not our housemaid. So you're putting a woman placing the role in relation to a man that God plays in his relationship to his people. I think that carries great dignity and it reminds us that there's no shame in being limited to what you can do. The shame is when you want to be God and put other people down uh, as if they're your slaves. We are God's servants. There's a big gap in relationship between us and God but there is no such gap between a man and a woman. Okay, so one of the other things that's really clear here in Chapter 2 is there's these two trees that are talked about planted along, uh, you know, uh, these different creeks or rivers um, that are flowing. Uh, one's the tree of life. The other one is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why, why do we have two trees? Why are they in the garden where man is? Um, how, how does this set us up for what's coming? Um. Why trees? I'm not sure, but there's this beautiful picture. If you've got a tree of life, we are, we are mortal beings in the sense that our bodies can die. They can stop functioning at any minute. We're totally dependent on God for every breath, every moment of living. And so there is this tree of life, and as long as we have access to that, we keep on living. On the other hand, you now have this other tree, uh, and I think it's really important to look at that, that distinction there between good and evil and remind ourselves that this, this concept of good has to do with beauty and functionality and just the, the complexity and the whole dynamic of God's wisdom in the way he created the world. The word evil isn't moral evil. Um, the word ra'ah in Hebrew simply means to destroy something. Uh, ra'ah, evil, is rottenness, destruction, damage. Uh, and God has the right to destroy what he's created. He's the creator. He's the only one who has the right to do what he likes with it. Mankind should, should be building up, uh, being creative, managing, sustaining God's beautiful work. Ra'ah means that mankind would take to himself the ability to destroy it. 
And so here is a choice. We, in the way that we manage God's world, we can either manage it beautifully in, in keeping with his character, or we can be a complete buffhead, do it selfish, selfishly, and the next thing you know, we've, we've damaged it. It's like um, you know, when your brother Rami uh, bought a little bicycle for his son. So Toby and Rami are sitting there and they've got the bicycle in the flat box and Rami pulls out the instructions and Toby grabs them and I've got this little three-year-old wandering around with a set of instructions upside down while his father's trying to put this bicycle together with a uh, uh, an Allen key and you're going, hang on a minute, we all know what happens to flatbed things. If you don't follow the instructions, <laughs> you end up with three nuts and a bolt left over and the thing doesn't work. Uh, and you've got the wheel on the wrong end and it's all backwards. Here is a beautiful creation and God's design for it. And if we don't follow God's wisdom and we want to go with our own wisdom, we're going to break the thing. And that's what we're faced with in this choice between good and evil. We're choosing between following God's beautiful way of running the world and our own stupid way that's going to end up in damaging it. Uh, and that's built into the way creation is. It's a fragile thing. Uh, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the place where we make that choice. Is it going to be under God or is it going to be me doing my own thing? Okay, so as we come towards the end of this episode, can you talk to us a little bit about how Genesis 2, uh, verse 4 to 25, points us towards Jesus? I, I think this is probably the most ex- one of the most exciting things about Jesus. We think about Jesus as he took away my sin and he gave me a place in heaven. Uh, And traditionally, people imagine silly things of disembodied people floating around on clouds playing harps. And we forget God created us to be in a physical world that is incredibly, incredibly beautiful and complex and functional and just a wonderful place to investigate and to work and to glorify God. We are physical, spiritual intellectual it's all there and if that's what god planted us to be and created us to be then jesus is going to bring us back to that Uh, god gave us a commission to start with this garden in genesis 2 and then fill the whole earth with it to be fruitful to multiply to subdue the earth to bring this creativity to bear when we look at the end of the bible you go to revelation 21 and 22 you're looking at a new creation It's physical. It's a new earth. We're not floating around in the sky. We're on the earth. We are in bodies that are healed and we're doing the thing that God designed us to do and we're getting the job finished. And it's it's this glorious picture of what we have in a little garden here in Genesis 2 now fills the whole planet. Uh, And it's filled with people more numerous than you could count, each one bringing their story and their beauty and the wonder of God's work to bear. And that's what Jesus does for us. He takes us he st- takes us back to what we had in Genesis 2, and he brings it to its perfect completion in Revelation 22. Uh, and everything in between is just between the two ends of the story that bring about the glory of God in not only what he does, but how he does it with little people like us. So what can we pull out of this passage that really helps us to uh, focus on being trained for a life redeemed so how how does that actually work for us now i I think it's like the like when you sit down to do a thousand piece jigsaw 
it's nice to have the picture on the lid to see what it is you're trying to put together. Genesis 2 gives us the picture of what our life should look like. Uh, If we start to get our relationship with God right, our relationship with each other right, and our relationship with the environment he has entrusted to us. So here in Genesis 2, we've got the picture on the lid. Uh, It's a little picture, and we're now set out to bring that to bear. My relationship with my wife, uh, my relationship to the environment, my relationship to God. In in, uh, embryonic form, it's all here in Genesis 2. Uh, there is the wonder of the complexity of being equal to my wife, but also be, we each function in a different way uh, to complete the task. We complement each other. We, we bring wisdom to bear. We look at our relationship to the creatures. We look at all the things God's laid out for us to use. Uh, all of this to his glory. And it's beautiful and we're all set to go. And if we're going to get life right then we're going to end up producing in each family, in each home, in each life story, a little picture of Eden. Uh, and that's what Jesus has brought back for us. Uh, and we're restoring that damage. Well, thank you very much, Dad. And thanks, everyone, for giving us your time and for listening to what we're talking about here from Genesis chapter 2. Uh, you can get all the show notes and a copy of... Uh, my dad's little mini-series about this chapter at trainingforliferedeemed.com slash EP3. Leave us a comment or ask your questions there that you would like us to answer as well. If you enjoyed today, please take a moment and leave us a review. And make sure you tune in next week when we look at where everything went wrong in Genesis 3.